0: Uh, today's passage is Luke 15. Uh, there's three parables here, but the talk will be focused on the last one. That's Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and loses one of them. Does he not go- leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls to his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven than Over one sinner who repents, then over ninety nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, The youngest son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one like your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fat and car for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And he is found. This is the word of Christ.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is uh, not just an old book, which is out of date for us today, but is your living and active word. You teach in it truth that we need to hear and uh, respond to. And I pray that now as we spend a few moments thinking on this very well-known, very famous story that the Lord Jesus told, that you might help us see it with fresh eyes. You might help us see whether uh, it has something to say for our lives today. And if it does, Lord, give us the strength and the courage to put it into effect. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's very good to be with you. If we haven't met, my name's Jay, and um, I'd like to tell you what I'm about to do now. This morning I'm going to share with you something that Jesus said. We just heard it read to us by Tim, and then I'm going to leave it with you. Leave it with you to see whether you think it's true or not. And if you do think it's true... Leave it with you to see whether there's something that you should respond to, some way in which you should respond to it. Jesus thought this story was very important. He told it at a crucial time. Uh, He considered it uh, valuable to hear. I'm here this morning to bring it to you because I think it's uh, valuable, but you have a chance now to hear it and make up your mind yourself. We're going to look at what's called a parable of Jesus. A parable is a story, and Jesus told a number of them. Parables which were kind of simple stories about life, but behind the story there were profound truths. So it's not just a story about a a father and two sons. What we'll see as we look at it in a bit more detail is that it's teaching far more about God and all human beings. And this one story, this particular parable, is one which I think every person can relate to. It's probably why it's the best known, I think, of all the parables of Jesus, In fact, the least relatable part of the parable, I think, is the title of the parable, the prodigal son. Uh, Jesus never called it the prodigal son. I'm not sure why we call it the prodigal son, but we do, and I think it's the least relatable part because no one knows what the word prodigal means. We don't use hands up if you use prodigal this week in your normal... No one. No one used prodigal. What does prodigal mean? Does anyone know what prodigal means? Wayward is not right. We sometimes think it means lost or wayward. Thank you for making my point, Andrew. I'll pay you afterwards. It, uh, prodigal doesn't mean wayward, prodigal means wasteful, it means excessive. It's when you use resources extravagantly in a way that's kind of a waste in that way. And that's what the younger son does. He gets all this money from the father and then he wastes it, squanders it, I think is the word, in the actual parable. So the least relatable part for all of us is this this parable is the bit that Jesus never said, which is the name, the prodigal son. Every other part that Jesus spoke about in this, we get. People today say the Bible's out of date and not relevant to my life. I dare anyone to not understand exactly the feelings and the sentiment and the truth of what Jesus said in this uh, parable. A child who wants their independence from their parents, wants to be able to live life their own way, we all understand exactly what that means. The moment in life where a person realises they've hit rock bottom, where they are just not where they thought they'd be in life, they're full of shame and regret, every person knows what that's like. The beauty and power of reconciliation, of important relationships which have gone wrong but are now fixed. Just the joy of that, the delight of that, where it's been wrong for so long but now it's back together. Or the feelings of jealousy and the pain of injustice of the older brother who's just outraged that... Why is he getting this? When when I've been doing all all of this my whole life, why is he getting all this kind of thing? We all understand the elements of this parable from Jesus. It's a great parable. But before I get into the details of the parable, I want to set up the parable. Because the setup for this parable... Often people preach on the parable of the prodigal son and they just look at the, the, the parable... But actually, the setup for the parable is very important in terms of getting the, the real depth of what Jesus wanted to get across. So, I want you to see the setup for the parable before we get into the parable. Our parable is the last of three that Jesus told all in a row. The, um, ours is the longest of what's called the three lost parables. So, there's the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and then ours, which is the lost son. But before he tells those parables, something else happens. If we can have a look at verse 1, you can see behind me before Jesus tells the parable, there's a se- the all three parables, there's a scene taking place. Jesus is teaching, and in the crowd, we're told particularly, there are lots of tax collectors and sinners gathering around him especially. Now, who are the tax collectors and sinners? Well, the tax collectors back then were Jews, they were Israelites, who were helping the Roman occupiers against their own people, the Jews, and they were reaping a healthy turnover as a result. Those tax collectors were literally profiting off the misery of their fellow Jews, and so tax collectors were hated. No one trusted them. They behaved in terrible ways, and so they were ostracised by the rest of society. That's the tax collectors. Who are the sinners? Because there's a sense that we're all sinners, right? We're all broken human beings. But the title sinners in the Gospels was a catch-all term for those who were very visibly sinners. We're all sinners, but not everyone can look at us and know that we're sinners. But in those days, the drunkards, the prostitutes, the thieves, these were the ones everyone could agree. they're They're the outcasts. They're the lowly. They're the ones who are real sinners, So, get the scene, the people hanging around Jesus particularly, we're told, are the tax collectors and the sinners. This is the unloved uh, group that society looked down on and ostracised, and with reason. These people had made terrible choices in their life and they were doing things which weren't good. But that's the scene. And so as this is taking place in verse 2, we see that some Pharisees and teachers of the law, this is the religious leaders of the day, they mutter to themselves and say, Why is Jesus hanging around with these guys? Why is Jesus, if he's this kind of noble religious figure, why is he welcoming sinners and eating with them? And immediately that happens, Jesus tells these three parables, these lost parables. In the first one, it's called the lost sheep, and there's a hundred sheep, one gets lost, and Jesus says, "What what do you do in that case? And Jesus says what you will do if you've got 100 sheep and one gets lost is you leave the 99 to go and find the lost one. And when you find the lost one, how do you respond? Enjoy. You put it on your shoulders and you're happy. And you take it home and you tell your friends to rejoice with you because you've found the sheep that was lost and you've got your lost sheep. Then Jesus explains the parable in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents... Than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. That's the first parable. Second parable, verse 8 lost coin. And we're told that there's a woman who has got 10 coins, but she loses one. She hunts for it everywhere. She does everything she can to find it. Then she does. And again, what's her response? Joy. She's found the lost coin. She brings her friends and tells her friends they've got it so that they can rejoice with her that she's found the lost coin. Then it finishes with a very similar verse to the first parable, verse 10. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now do you see what's going on with these parables? Jesus has been accused of why are you wasting time with them, with these lost people. Jesus is clearly in these parables speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law saying you've got the wrong idea of God and of me. You think I should only be hanging around with respectable people, the religious people, and looking down on others. But Jesus says God and heaven and the angels rejoice when the lost are found. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, which brings us to the third parable where we're going to see one sinner who repents and the rejoicing that goes on when that happens. So that's how the the parables kind of fit together. That's setting the scene. So let's have a think about this third parable, this very well known story that Jesus told. And I've got three points really which I want us to to see. And the first I've entitled The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. It's got nothing to do with Peter Pan, it's got nothing to do with an 80s vampire movie, as good as that may be. The plural is intentional. Because although this morning I'm going to spend most of our time looking at the younger son, I want you to know the older brother is lost too. The older brother is lost. And there's a sadness in this story because by the end of the story, you know the younger brother has repented. We'll think about what that means in a moment. But you know he's made the right decision. It's ambiguous about the older brother. The older brother's still got a terrible attitude in his heart by the end. The older brother is lost. He's got to a point in his life where he can't be thankful and joyful at the fortune of someone else. He's obsessed with justice. This younger brother's done the wrong thing. He shouldn't be treated well. He should be punished. He should get what's coming to him. This older brother would fit right in with the cancel culture that's around you and I at the moment. Someone's done the wrong thing, we push them away and ostracise them. They're cancelled. We keep them at arm's distance. What we don't do is forgive and restore relationships or anything like that. That's the older brother. He doesn't have gladness that his brothers come to his senses He isn't rejoicing in his heart that this brother that was lost has now been found. In verse 30, he can't even call him his brother. When he's speaking to the father, he says, when this son of yours came back. won't even call him his brother. The older brother is lost. Make no mistake about it. And actually, the the older brother is the embodiment of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because they've got to such a state in their lives, they don't realise God loves the lowly and the lost And they won't rejoice when those lost come to God. The older brother is the picture of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They've got the wrong attitude. In other words, the older brother is the picture of jaded Christians. There's a lot for us to learn there. So the older brother is, uh, is lost. But it's the younger brother we're focusing on this morning. And he's definitely lost. But he was lost even before he went off to another country. To go to your father, like this younger brother did, and say, Father, give me my share of the estate, that is quite the statement. It's like saying, you're dead to me now, I want my inheritance. You only get your inheritance at the end of someone's life. And he goes to the father and says, give it to me now. He may as well say, you're dead to me, I just want your stuff. And to get his share of the estate now endangers the whole estate for everyone else because you've got to find the cash and the resources and be able to give it to the younger son. But this younger son doesn't care about anything else or anyone else. He's only interested in himself. It's a profoundly selfish, thoughtless act. And it shows that this younger brother was lost well before he travelled to other countries. But he does that, he goes to his father, demands his share of the estate and we're told a few days later he gathered all his belongings, he's probably liquidated his assets into cash to be able to transfer and uh, he goes off and in verse 13 it says he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now Jesus doesn't go into the details of what that term means but later in verse 30... When the older brother is talking to the father about what the younger brother does, it says that he in part wasted it with prostitutes. And so I think we can imagine the kind of living that this younger brother was doing. He squanders all of it in this wild living. This is a familiar story to most of us, isn't it? This could be a TV special on any number of retired athletes or musicians who used to have all the money and all the stuff and lost it over their years, squandered it. Now all they have is they're broke and probably broken. So this younger brother is at a low, a real low. But then something outside his control happens to make the situation even worse. Verse 14, a severe famine comes. He's in another country. He's away from everything else. He's used all his resources. Now a severe famine comes. And so he's in real need, and so he hires himself out to one of the citizens of the country he's in, and the job he's given is feeding the pigs. Now for this, you and I may not feel that this is as low as you can go, but it was for the people listening to Jesus at that time. For Israelites, being in a foreign land, a Gentile land, meant you're in an unclean place. That's where this gentleman is. And pigs were unclean animals. He's in an unclean land doing the lowest possible job feeding pigs that he wasn't even supposed to be around. He's at an all-time low. And at the end of verse 16, we're told explicitly, no one gave him anything. This guy is completely isolated. Everyone's left him. I bet that was a change from the days when he was squandering his money. I bet when he was squandering his money, he had lots of people hanging around with him. Lots of people who wanted to spend time with him. Probably had a large entourage, good group of friends, significant uh, kind of uh, group of people happy to hang out with him while his money was paying for the good times for them all. But as soon as the hard times hit and he's got nothing, they abandon him. No one's got anything for him. Now I'd be very surprised if anyone in this hall today has had exactly this experience. Anyone fed pigs in a foreign land? Probably no one's had this exact experience. Every single one of us gets this feeling. We all know what this moment's like. The moment where it's all crashed down and we can't pretend that it hasn't crashed down anymore. Often in life, we we know things are not going where we thought they would, where we hoped they might, but we kind of pretend and we put it off and we we think it's not happening. But there comes moments to each of us at stages of life where you can't pretend anymore. And we know it's come crashing down, where reality finally breaks through and you know you've hit rock bottom. The moment in life when you realise there's something missing, something's gone wrong, and it's often accompanied with shame and regret at how we've contributed to it. When you realise you're lost. Lost, boys. And of course, I hope you realise as we're talking about this parable Jesus wasn't just talking about a random father and two sons. Jesus is talking about human beings with God. That's what the truth of this parable is. The father in this parable is God, and the brothers are the human beings. And so Jesus is saying that for many of us in life, we can be like the younger brother, the God who owns the whole estate who's the creator of everything and holds everything in his hand, the younger brother comes to the father and goes, I want my share of the estate now. In other words, I don't want you, God. I just want the stuff you've made. I don't want you telling me how to live. I want to live life my way. I don't want you to tell me how to use the stuff. I don't want to, I'll do with them what I want. I'll do what, I'll do what I want with whom I want. I'll do whatever I want. And that's how many human beings live in this world. And we enjoy it. Sometimes Christians seem to suggest that if you live away from God and abuse his gifts, it's a miserable existence. But that's not true. When you live the way you want, I want my share of the estate right now. Without you, I just want to do what I want with whoever I want, however I want, whenever I want. It brings excitement, and it brings pleasure, and it brings enjoyment for a time, for a time. But whether it runs out like it did for the younger brother or it just gets old and fails to satisfy like it once did, the truth is nothing in this world satisfies properly. Nothing in this world quenches permanently. Nothing in this world fulfills perfectly. And that's for a very good reason. It's because we were made by God for God, for a relationship with him. And so when you say, I want my share of the estate now, and to heck with you, we're not living in the way we were meant to live. And we kind of know that inside, even if we deny it to ourselves. Living in this world without the one who made us doesn't work. And instinctively we know there's something wrong, there's something missing. So many people in this world chase what they think will fulfill them, what they think will fill them some people, it's money, chasing money. For some, it's career, making the right choices for the the path of career, relationships, sex, achievements. But it will never fulfill, fill, quench properly. There will always be a vacuum, a hole, a thirst, a hunger. Nothing in this life will fill you, uh, satisfy you without God. There's an old Christian leader, Augustine, who, um, who himself actually lived a, a prodigal life in his earlier uh, days. He wrote that, he wrote a very famous statement that God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Very true. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. So many people are looking for this rest everywhere else, and you won't. We're lost. The lost boys, whether it's the younger son or the older son, it's the experience of all human beings at different stages in their life. That's the lost boys. Secondly... We've seen the experience of the lost boys. Secondly, we see the repentance of the younger son. It's a great parable, this, because we get to see the whole, uh, the whole scenario with the younger brother. We see him get sink to his lowest depths, and then we see his thought process. We can see what he works through. Verse 16, he longs to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. Just by the way, this is uh, on the side. I think it's good he didn't eat the pods. He longs to, not just because it would have been terrible, eat the pigs. Uh, no, don't. That's a different thing as well. If he'd eaten the pods, too often people settle for second best in this world. He looked at the pods and went, oh, I'm so low, I want to eat that. Thank goodness he didn't. So many people in this world accept second best and they get used to living in the proverbial pigsty. He didn't. He'd got to the low, he saw that oh my goodness, now I'm even looking at this favourably, and then he decides to do something, he comes to his senses. I think it's good that he didn't need it. And we see him come to his senses in verse seventeen. And he thinks to himself, how many of my father's hired hands? Now, to understand the full depth of this, we have to understand hired hands were not the permanent employees on an estate. The permanent employees on an estate were almost treated like family. The hired hands were the part-time temporary staff. So this younger brother is going, how many of the part-time temporary staff, of my father's part-time temporary staff, have food to spare and I'm starving to death here? I will set out, go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he gets up and he goes back. Now there's a lot here that the son does right. It's a great response by the younger son. He's realized he's lost. As I said before, so often in life we don't. We pretend we're not. He's finally got to the point where he's realised he's lost. He's admitted he's contributed to it. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Not many of us do that. We won't admit our, our contribution or our guilt. He does. He's humble in that way. It's a great response. But I want you to notice, his response doesn't stop with regret. He moves from regret to repentance. That's very important. All of us have experienced regret in our lives. The important thing is, does our regret lead to repentance? Not just regret, but repentance. And repentance is a kind of Christian word. We don't use it a lot in normal life. But repentance has a very simple meaning. It means changing the direction you're going in. You used to be going one way, now you're going another way. For Christians it means, I used to live life my way, making my own decisions, doing what I want to do, but now I turn around and I live God's way, his way. And literally what the younger brother does is he changes direction. He was going that way out to the other, th- other countries, he now turns around and goes back to his father. That's what every single person has to do with God. We all regret I don't understand people who say I live life with no regrets. Well, you're odd. You need to do some more self-reflection because we all make mistakes, and some of them are terrible. Most, we all get regret. Why did I do that again? Why am I living for the weekend? Why am I wasting my life? Why am I making these choices? What have I got to look forward to? Why do I keep doing the same thing again and again? And there is always regret. Will it lead to repentance? Will it lead to changing direction in our lives? Know you're lost, like this younger brother did. Know that we've contributed to it. It's our fault. And repent. Turn to the Lord. Look for the... the, For what it means in real life, look to Jesus and live his way. It's a great example by this young man. So that's the repentance of the son. We've seen the experience of the lost boys. We've seen the repentance of the younger son. Thirdly, lastly, we see the love of the father. We see the love of the father. I like to imagine that this was a pretty long trip home for this younger brother. Every step, what's dad going to say? Every step, why did I do that? Just embarrassed and shameful. He knew he'd done the wrong thing. Fancy going to your dad and saying, I wish you were dead, give me my stuff. He'd acted awfully. He'd been completely wrong. And I don't know about you, but I'm often quite good at justifying my wrong actions. I like to... um, uh, consider all the extenuating circumstances that led to my wrong actions. I like to realise how everyone else contributed to them. But every now and then, you do something so wrong, there's no wriggle room. You can't escape from it. You just know you were wrong. And there's no excuse that could be given. That's the sun here, right? And so you can imagine the long trip home. Every single step, how's Dad going to respond? I can't believe I did that. He must have gone through all these scenarios in his mind as he made his way home it must have been nerve-wracking but then what happens in actuality is incredible verse 20 while he was still a long way off his father saw him it doesn't say this in the parable but i'm convinced his father saw him because his father was looking out for him he was in the i like to think of him being in the top story of the house looking out for his son coming. And people go, well, you're reading too much into it, Jay. Am I? The first parable was about the lost, the sheep being found. The second parable was about the coin being found. And now we've got the parable of the lost son. I think the father was looking out for him and he sees him while he's still a long way off. He was filled with compassion for him. He runs out to him. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. And the son gets to say the statement that he'd already thought in his head and he'd probably practiced so many times on the walk home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father almost ignores him and speaks to the servant and says, bring the best robes and put it on him. Get the family ring and put it on his finger. Find some shoes from the house and put it on his feet and then kill the fattened calf and and we're going to rejoice and feast because my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Let me tell you how this scenario would have happened if I was the father. Let's call the son Jesse. (laughs) If I was looking out, hoping that he might come home, I'd have waited for him to get to the door. I'd have watched every step and I hope I would have seen him slow down and be nervous and take a few gulps. And if he got to the door and knocked on it, I'd take my time answering it. But I would answer it. I would then slowly open it and I'd say, Well, well, well. (laughs) Look who's back. What do you have to say? And then, although I've been joking up until this point, I'm pretty sure that I would make sure that his apology was absolutely accurate and that he understood the depths of what he'd done wrong, and that he crossed every T and dotted every I with his apology, otherwise I wouldn't accept it. Thank goodness I'm not the father in this story. Because this father sprints out, hugs him, kisses him, tells the servant to put the robe on him that this son does not deserve, the ring on him that this son does not deserve, shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf, and celebrate because the son had come home. The parable is called the parable of the prodigal son. It should be called the parable of the prodigal father because this is excessive love. This love wasn't deserved. It's lavished upon the son. It's lavished upon him. And, of course, the incredible truth of these lost parables is this is a picture of God with us. This is what the God... That, you and I, that created you and I, and that we turned our back on, this is how he responds to us. This overwhelming love, this gladness that is wonderful to see. He's the one who looks for the lost sheep, finds the lost coin, and receives with joy the lost son. This is the rejoicing that happens over one sinner who repents. We can sometimes think that I've let God down too much. I've been away for too long. I've treated him too shabbily and I I couldn't turn back now if I wanted to because not a bit of it. He'd never take me back. Not a bit of it. Men of a certain age back then never used to run publicly because it was seen as um, not dignified. I get that now. (laughs) This man picked up his cloak... And It's going to be less dignified in a cloak, isn't it? He picks up his cloak and sprints out to his son, throws his arms around him and kisses him. This is how God treats everyone who comes back to him in repentance. I hope we know this about God. Sometimes we talk about God, God cares about right and wrong, he cares about justice, he hates sin and there's a price to be paid for it and all those things are true, which is why Jesus died on the cross so that when we repent, this is the response we get. This extravagant love. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had the wrong idea about God and Jesus. What are you hanging out with those people for? Surely God's against those kind of people. Jesus said, No, God's looking for them, finding them, and rejoicing in them when they come home to Him. That's who God is. That's who God is. Who are you? How will you respond to this? The truth is, we're all lost boys at different stages in our life. Sometimes we're the younger brother, sometimes we're the older brother. How will we respond? Do we know we're lost? Do we know there's something we can do about it and do we know the response we'll get from the Father if we make it? This parable shows us two lost boys. It shows us a son who repented and it shows us the incredible love of the Father. What will we do with it? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words of the Lord Jesus. A story he told so long ago in a very different time and culture and yet one which every one of us understands deeply this morning. Father, we thank you for the wonderful love that you have and I pray that each of us would respond to it appropriately. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.